lot of richness and empowerment in that text. What other places in Hebrew scriptures do you see similar themes? Do you see, um, does a womanist perspective need to be brought out? So uh, I, I won't necessarily um, unpack them yeah. in, in as much detail, but I would say um, kind of briefly two other texts that, I, that really uh, speak to me. Second uh, Kings 22, um, which uh, you also see come up in First Chronicles, which is um, in Second Kings we've arrived at the moment where uh, King Josiah is um, do is carrying out reforms, right? We've had a series of really bad kings mm-hmm. in Israel, and King Josiah has come into power and he's carrying out reforms, and um, he engages in a building project. In the midst of his kind of building and excavation project, uh, the people for whom he has set this task in front of uh, retrieve a scroll. And in their retrieval of the scroll, um, the people who initially encounter it aren't quite sure what it is, right? So when King Josiah reads it, the, the text tells us that he, he rips his clothes, which is a sign of mourning. And the sign of mourning is really um, a, an indication that he understands that Israel has not been faithful to what it is uh, this scroll has compelled them to do. They've not been faithful to the relationship that God and Israel are supposed to have, but they're still not quite sure what to do with this scroll. So the text tells us that they take it to a couple of different people who are not able to unlock really um, the meaning of the text. And then um, they take the text to the prophet Hulda. Now, um, most often we read that text as prophetess, right. but it, it's the it's the same term just with a feminine anyway, yeah. right? Yeah. So it's the same function. Yeah. So they take this text to the prophet Hulda, and um, she's the one who tells them that it's Deuteronomy. Hmm. Um, and um, so we talk about practical womanist moments. Um, J. Alfred Smith Sr., right? Um, just a giant in the church. Uh, Pastor Emeritus of Allen Temple um, in Oakland. Uh, We were talking about this text one day and I asked him what it was that made him start ordaining women. Now, this is a man who is is ordaining black women in the 70s. He ordains Elemental, who was a giant in uh, in the black church in preaching. Uh, He ordains her and I said, what would make you, right? a member of the Baptist church, right? Um, take this leap of, of faith, move out and kind of be an advocate for black women. He's probably ordained more black women than most other black pastors mm. in this country. Um, and he said it was this text. Mm. That one day in his studies, he was reading this text and he realized that there are some scripture that it takes a woman to unlock. Yeah. And if, if if that is the imperative that God has placed in the text, um, then indeed he, he couldn't do anything different. Um, and so for me, that that's a very kind of womanist engagement of scripture. Yeah. There are some things that only yeah. uh, we as women, we as black women can do with this text that unlock it for the rest of the world to see. Yeah. Right? So for me, that's a, 
that's a call to arms, right? I need to unlock some things about the text. And and what happens is that once they have a sense of what the text is, uh, they do the best they can to correct. But what we know is that Josiah understands that even in their correction, there is still some consequence that comes for um, their actions from before. I think that's the reality of the world in which we live, right? Even as we try to open up the text so that people can find themselves, regardless of their social location, we have, in fact, you, we've ignored the text in its prophetic message, and we've misused and abused the text enough that there is still some hurt that can't be undone. There is still some um, rupture that cannot be mended because we've used the Bible and we've used uh, government and we use the institution of Christianity literally to kill people. Mm. Yeah. So um, for me, that, that hold the text becomes important for in that way. Um, then if we jump back to, to the book of Genesis and we look at the relationship between Sarah and Hagar, yeah. I think we see another text that illuminates for us some of the com- complicated relationship between black women and white women in yeah. this society. And maybe in ways that are more sympathetic uh, to the, the struggles that, um, that white women in America face, right? Mm-hmm. Because if we look at Sarah, and I would identify her as uh, somewhere akin to, right? Yeah. That's the parallelism we see right. is between white women and Sarah and black women and Hagar. If we look at Sarah, um, Sarah has a certain degree of optimism in her until we get to Genesis 12. Mm-hmm. And in Genesis 12, um, Avram get, has this conversation with God about um, the, the sanctity of the blessing that God is going to bestow upon Avram and, their, and um, um, his seed and his land. Uh, Avram ignores this kind of uh, vow from God and takes his wife and makes his way to Egypt. And on the way to Egypt, just as they're entering in, uh, he says to Sarai, Listen, when they ask who you are, say that you are my sister. Because if they know that you're my wife, they might do me harm, right? So he essentially, again, pimps his wife into the court of Pharaoh. And all kinds of things could have happened to her in that space. And in some ways, God intervenes, right? By revealing something to Pharaoh, Revealing something to the foreigner and placing it on the foreigner's heart to be sympathetic to these people. So Pharaoh expels Avram and Sarai from Egypt and he sends Avram away with more than what he came with. Well, what that means is that Avram goes away with more status than he arrived with. He's got more goods. He's got more power. He's got more economic willpower. But the only thing that would have given Sarai, any kind of social and political power is to produce a child, specifically a male heir. And so Abraham comes out unscathed. He actually profits from this. 
but uh, Sarah's sexuality becomes a liability and she's still left empty right and so we see her in this kind of bitter state and we see her then step in and try to manipulate the situation she manipulates the situation in such a way that it it facilitates the rape of Hagar right you lie with my um, maidservant this Egyptian maidservant that likely they picked up yeah. In Egypt, yeah. right? When, um, from Pharaoh's blessing. You lie with this maidservant. And so Hagar is then um, raped by uh, um, Abraham. Which is, I think, something people don't realize in the text. Right. This was not a consensual relation. power equal relationship. Right. It's not like um, uh, Sarah went to Hagar and said, listen, <laughs> um, yeah. I, I need an heir husband needs an heir so would you have sex with him or uh abraham goes and has a conversation builds a relationship with hagar uh it is again a situation where hagar's given no word Mm -hmm. and no emotion this is a rape right um and so hagar gets pregnant from this right very kinds of um this this act that she had no agency in produces a child and in her production of a child she then uh, receives nothing but contempt from the very person who put this entire thing into motion yeah. right uh, the text tells us time and time again that, that Sarah looks it, um, meets Hagar with contempt um, and then at some point Hagar tries to escape and God sends her back. So this becomes really complicated for yeah. me, right? Like, yeah. where is God in the suffering of those who are marginalized? And one of the ways that we've read this text and said, particularly to black women, you got to go back in, right? Yeah. And also the idea that in the wilderness, um, God doesn't hear Hagar's cry. God hears Ishmael's cry. Yeah. What are we saying to black women about God's capacity to hear our cries, right? Um, And so all of the ways that we talk about um, the unheard um, emotions of black women, the things that we are asked to bear silently. If you take that text and you um, put it alongside of the slave narratives, and the ways in which white women um, had complicated relationships with their husbands and therefore in some in the same breath would turn a blind eye or even invite sexual relationships between the husband the master and these black female slaves and then meet these black women with contempt Mm. right the violence that these slave women are um, experiencing this is the kind of thing that you see um uh kind of given birth in the, the, the seeds of a womanist reading of the text. Um, if I think about it uh, most kind of immediately, I think about these conversations about Sally Hemings that have been, that have kind of come back to the forefront. You know? so they found the quarters of Thomas Jefferson's mistress. That's the language that's been used. Yeah. Sally Hemings was not Thomas Jefferson's mistress. She was a slave. Mm-hmm. You cannot convince me that a teenage slave um, desired a relationship with um, her white master some 30 to 40 years her senior. That's rape. 
that is uh, sexual trafficking, Mm -hmm. right? That's not love. That's not a mistress. And so these are the kinds of things that we have to look at when we look at um, the way that we talk about the Sarah and Hagar text and Abraham text and the ways that we narrate our own history in the United States. Yeah, yeah. It illuminates and shines a a damning light on it at times. Yes, Yeah. yeah. Well, this has been amazing. I think that folks will be... uh, challenged and stretched and hopefully see that there are many more perspectives to the text than many folks have been given. I think you probably sort of like wet people's appetite a little bit. <laughs> if they want to dig in more and find uh, other readings, other perspectives from womanist authors and womanist scholars, where would you send them to get spots? Uh, um, yeah, so I would send them first and for- foremost to um, Mitzi Smith's anthology, I Found God in Me. Mm-hmm. Um, I would also send them to um, Gay Byron and Vanessa Loveless recently also put all, out an anthology on womanist biblical interpretation. Um, uh, Chanel Harris, who teaches at Hartford Theological Seminary, has a wonderful book on um, uh, a womanist reading of Revelation. Um, um, Nisha Jr. has a, a primer um, that's an introduction to womanist biblical interpretation um, that offers a bit of a history. And um, what I think is interesting about Naisha's work is she does not self-identify as a womanist. Mm. She is a black female Hebrew Bible scholar, but she does not identify as a womanist. She offers some critique of uh, the trajectory of womanist biblical interpretation. Um I don't necessarily agree with all of her critique, but that's what good scholarship is, yeah, right? Yeah. Is to put something out there and and leave it for um, people to to talk back to. Yeah. Um, so I would offer those um, those texts as really kind of a way for for yeah. for people to enter in. Also, Will Gaffney um, just uh, released a book probably within the past couple of weeks on womanist midrash. Mm. So I think all of those are really great books that yeah. engage um, what's starting to bubble up in biblical interpretation around yeah. womanist thought. Yeah. And I'll put links for all those on the website. So if listeners are interested, they can check them out. If folks want to hear more from you specifically, are there spots they can go? Chapters and books? Uh, there's, there's the chapter in I Found God in Me on Ruth. Um, liturgical press put out a is doing an all feminist uh, commentary so it's a multi the first multi-volume feminist commentary on the bible and in the psalms commentary that came out in october that it's book two of the psalms maybe book two and three it's written by denise donkowski hopkins but i've got about 13 articles in that um and that commentary that kind of uh, talk back to the feminist yeah. uh, perspective from a womanist um, Ben. Yeah, and I think people can be on the watch for more stuff coming from you in the the coming months and years. Yes, yes, yeah. we're 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 working um, diligently. So I'm also doing an article for that same commentary on the Song of Solomon, um, and um, hoping to put some things out soon on Exodus and the the women in the first three chapters of the mm-hmm. book of Exodus. Yeah, well, great. Well, I hope listeners will check all of that out uh, and continue to explore uh, perspectives that need to be heard in the church and in the world. So, yes. Thanks, everyone. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah.